I'm of the opinion, and it is an informed opinion that the, the informed by the Bible that that when we achieve a oneness of heart and when we achieve a oneness of mind in the local church, when we all say the same thing and our hearts beat together, miracles happen. Miracles of conversion. People come to know the Lord. When Christians get it together, people come to know the Lord. That's what it says in Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The end of the psalm says, There the Lord commands the blessing of life forevermore. People get saved when Christians get their stuff together. When we have a oneness of mind, when we have a oneness of heart, and when we say the same thing, miracles of conversion happen. And when we have a oneness of mind, and when we have a oneness of heart, and when we say the same thing, miracles of sanctification happen. In other words, people get to growing more and more like the Lord. And, and holiness happens, holiness of life. When Christians say the same thing, when we're of one accord, when we have a oneness of mind, that's what happens. That's what it says in the book of Acts. Paul knew this, who wrote the book of Romans, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knew to keep the main thing, the main thing, and my opinions and my preferences and yours are not the main thing, right? So, the, but, but he knew to keep the main thing, the main thing that miracles would happen. And I want our kids, I want your kids and, and mine and my grandkids, I want them to be raised in a dynamic church. I don't mean one that's just kind of limping along, but a dynamic church where people are coming to know the Lord. People's lives are being changed. Families are united. Marriages are strengthened. That your kids would have the experience of saying, I know lots of people who had their lives totally changed by Jesus Christ. I know lots of people who got their marriages together. I know lots of women that are happy because their husbands are good Christians or kids who have really solid Christian moms and dads. I've seen that all my life. I see that in my church. That's the kind of dynamic church we want to have. We don't want just a church full of people that slow down for an hour on Sunday and they pack their stuff off the church. We want to have an assembly of people whose lives are being progressively transformed into the likeness of Jesus, who are like people that are growing in holiness. They're not as angry as they used to be. They're not as lustful as they used to be. They're not as selfish as they used to be. Right? They're, they're, but they're more and more like you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life. That's the kind of dynamic church I want to be a part of. And the Bible teaches that that happens when Christians get together and they say the same thing and they're of one heart and one soul and of one accord and when they set their personal preferences aside and when they set their personal opinions aside and when they unite over something really big like the gospel of Jesus Christ, then those kind of miracles happen. Let me give you some biblical data on that. I just wrote it down so that I could give it to you kind of like machine gun style. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians 1.10. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes in another place, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. This is the only time that Paul says this. In Acts 1.14, the scriptures say, Luke wrote, these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication. In Luke 2, uh, Acts 2 and verse 1, the day of Pentecost came and they were all with one accord in one place. The church started with everybody in oneness of mind doing what Jesus said. 
Acts 2, 46, continually, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness. In Acts 4, 24, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Acts 4 and 32, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Do you see this? It's like over and over, right? It's a major theme. Acts 5 and verse 12, the early church says they were all of, with one accord on Solomon's porch. Acts chapter 8 and verse 6, multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. And I like this one in Philippians, in a little Philippian letter. You know, Paul says to these precious ladies in the church who are having trouble getting along, I implore you, Odia and Syntyche, how'd you like to have your name in the Bible? Wouldn't that be awesome if your name was in the Bible? Yeah, well, not this way. I implore you, Odia and Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. He's like, can you ladies, please? Can you get along? Just have the same mind. Um, and then uh, that's in, it's in Philippians 4 too. In Acts 15, uh, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you. With Barnabas and Paul, they sent missionaries because they had a oneness of mind. Miracles happened because they had a oneness of mind. Because they said the same thing, people came to know the Lord. Because they agreed together and they had a oneness of mind and they were of one accord and of one mind. God would rather have a united church than he would have a big church. God wants his people to be united in one accord and of one mind and of one heart, not just after my opinion or your opinion, but after what the Bible says that Jesus is the church that's supposed to be united about. It's the gospel. And then we get to the text we're going to see today in Acts, in, I'm sorry, in, in Romans 15, 6, when you reach the climax of the text that we're going to try to cover in our time today, it says that you may... With one mind and with one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we get this together, miracles are going to happen. And some of those miracles are going to be like you, your kids, your neighbors. People that you work with. People that you trade with are going to come to know the Lord and become followers of Jesus Christ and have their lives changed forever. And generations of people that can follow the Lord. That's it. I would get excited about that, even if I was kind of a half-awake Baptist. Amen? And then Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. That, that, that was, I love you. That was just a little humor there. Yeah. And Philippians 1, 27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I am not shy to call evangel to live up to its name. And that's the one thing that we ought to all agree on. We ought to just unite around that. Now, we're going to have differences of opinion, you know. We're going to have different kinds of food that we like. I know when missionaries come, I used to say when a missionary visited, hey, can I, can I take you to lunch? I don't do that anymore. I say, do you like Bob Evans? That's what I tell them. Because missionaries are always going to Chinese. And I'm like, that's not good. You know, we don't want to eat Chinese. Kenny doesn't like Chinese. You know, so now I don't say, what would you like? Because then the mission is always like, do you have a good Chinese place around here? Then I'm like, so I don't say that. We have different tastes and opinions about a lot of stuff, food and what our favorite season of the year. I'm like, I'm all happy because there's frost on the pumpkin this morning. And you're like crabby about it because you hate it when there's frost on the pumpkin. We don't have to agree about that. We can get married and not agree about that, right, Lois? But one thing we got to agree on is that Jesus is Lord and that people need him. And he's our only help and he's our only hope and he's the only way. We've got to unite about that. That's what the Bible is teaching here. 
And Jesus said it in the high priestly prayer in the upper room before he died. The glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one in them. I in them and you in me that they may be perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now let's read Romans chapter 14 because this is what it's all about. We're going to work our way through Romans 14 to chapter 15, verse 7 this morning. We'll see this morning and a little tiny bit this afternoon, right? The meaning of this passage is very clear. It's clear that Paul is saying this. In matters of personal preference or in matters of personal opinion, we should not judge or reject one another. This is the whole thing. It's not hard to figure that out. It's very, very clear. This is what Paul is saying. And remind, let me remind you. Why did Paul lay this huge, like, weighty, heavy, doctrinal... Why did he start the book and give all that doctrine so that he could get to this? This is where he's driving. This is the practical application of where Paul was going with all that doctrine. He's saying, in a church, in the Roman church, you had especially two groups of people. You had the converted Jewish people and the converted Gentile people, the converted Greek people. And so this was what the church was primarily made up. You had these two groups. And they they tended to get along because they all knew the Lord. But they also tended to kind of spark because some of them had the Jewish background and some of them had that, you're the wicked pagan background, right? And so so they, they tended to spark a little bit. And Paul's writing him a letter. And he says, we all believe salvation, sin, salvation, sovereignty, sanctification, sovereignty. And therefore, since in the light of these mercies, since we have all the mercies of God, can you people get along? Can you say the same thing? Can you be of one heart and of one mind? Can you get together, set your personal preferences aside, set your personal opinions aside, and unite and don't rough up weak people? And don't rough. So he speaks to the weak and he speaks to the strong. It, it, just to, to give you an illustration, it would be like I want you to imagine that you have a little blonde girl with curly hair and she is the apple of your eye. Everything she says is wonderful. Everything she does is precocious. You just, you can't wait to get home at night so that you can read her stories by the fire. Her, her, her lisp makes a tear pool in the corner of your eye. You have a little girl like that. And I want you to imagine you're coming home from work one night, and you're fighting traffic and you can't wait to get to her. And then when you get into your neighborhood, you notice that there's a dark cloud over your neighborhood and you realize it's not the weather. There's a fire somewhere in your neighborhood. And you turn into your neighborhood thinking, I wonder which one of my neighbor's house is on fire. But it's not long before you realize that it's a house on your street. One of your near neighbor's house is on fire. And then as you drive down the street, you realize it's not a neighbor's house. It's your house. And to your horror, when you get there, you realize that your little girl is trapped in the upstairs bedroom. And the window's out. And she's crying for somebody to help her. And it's such a huge fire that two fire departments have come. And they're fighting over which ladder they're going to use to rescue your little girl. What are you going to say to them? Just get us together. Save or rescue her. And every once in a while, you know, somebody will kind of light me up over their personal preference. It's the way it works. We, we have preferences. We all have them. Tell me their personal opinion. Maybe have a phone call and we'll kind of deal with that. But then the next email or the next phone call is often like, goes like this. I have a friend. They visited your church two weeks ago. It was like their last ditch effort. They were in despair of life. They took their life before two weeks passed it passed you understand the building is on fire and people who are precious to god are perishing and we don't have the option of getting it together 
This is what Paul is saying. Paul is aware that, that, that the Roman church was a handful of Christian people in a perishing city. And we are a handful of Christian people in a city that's perishing. You can hear the crackling flames. You can feel the heat of the flames. And we can't argue over which ladder to use, but we have to give the gospel and rush into the fire and rescue the people that are there who smell like smoke. And so Paul is going to say this. and he's, So let's state it positively. There are six reasons that we should be committed I'm going to call my message, this is part two of I, I Want It My Way. And by the way, just so in case you're wondering, I do want it my way. Aren't we all that way a little bit, right? We kind of want things our way. I want it my way, personal preferences under the mercy. And so before you demand your way, or before I demand my way about a personal preference or a personal opinion, there are six things that Paul wants us to look at before we demand our way. And this is great stuff for church, but it's really good stuff for work and marriage. And so, you know, this is just going to be a little, uh, a little uh, seminar for your marriage, a little seminar for church uh, or work. Paul addresses the strong. In other words, those who understand their liberty. These are primarily the Gentiles. Calls them strong. They understand they can eat meat offered to idols. And they they don't have to observe Jewish uh, ceremonial days. But he also uh, uh, addresses the weak. In two different areas there. What you eat and what days you recognize. Those whose consciences are still tender about eating meat offered to idols or observing ceremonial days. These are primarily Jews. So you understand that there are people whose conscience is tender or weak and actually needs to be informed. No, that is okay. It is okay to eat meat offered to idols. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, just don't ask. That's what he says. In 1 Corinthians, he says, just eat the meat and don't ask where it came from. But then after you ask, then you have, you know, then you have to deal with the person, whether you love them and how you handle that is going to take wisdom. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It's an issue here. Now, so here are six things to think about. Before you insist on your way. First, consider who God is. Consider who God is. Let's look at verses 1 through 12. Receive one who is weak in the faith, not to disputes over doubtful things. Don't argue with him, right? Over opinions. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not, so like if you're a meat eater, that's your verse right there. He who is weak eats only vegetables. You could say that, yeah. Uh, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. And what you notice in verses 2 and 3, some things. First of all, in verses 2 and 3, God has received him. God has received the weak person. So you don't don't need to reject him because God has received him. Here's a, here's a second thing in verses 4 and 5. God sustains the weak person. Look at verse 4. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. God is able to make him stand. So you don't have to sustain him. You don't have to judge him. You can receive him because God's received him. And you can receive him because God sustains him. He's God's business. You see what I'm saying? Uh, well, you don't need to take it upon yourself. There's a principle here. These matters of conscience are to be matters of individual conscience. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. Each believer must develop a good conscience, a personal system of internal governance, and this conscience must be informed by the Scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and encouraged by the body of Christ. But it's personal. It's your conscience, you see. And the one who's weak, God has received him. 
The one who's weak, God has accepted him. Don't reject him. God is his Lord. Bushes 6-9. through nine. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day. Notice how often the word Lord is used. To the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he who gives God thanks, and he, he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself or dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. Get it? He's saying, you aren't God. The Lord is perfectly capable of taking care of the strong and the weak brethren. God has received him. You don't need to reject him. God sustains him. You don't have to worry about it. God is his Lord. You're not. And God is his judge. And you're not. Look at verses uh, 10 through 13. To this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We believe there will be a judgment seat of Christ, not the judgment of sins, which happened on Calvary for believers, but the judgment of works for believers. And we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he's perfectly capable of judging. He's a better judge. Let me give you a, a, a wild understatement. He's a better judge than I am. He's a, he's a better judge than you are. We don't need to judge that. and We're discerning, but we don't need to judge and, and you know, pronounce judgment on other people because they have a judge. God is their judge, and he's going to judge them, and he's good at it. And so the one thing we want to think about when we're tempted to press our personal opinions on somebody else is, wait a minute, you're not God. And he's doing a really good job of being God. And you can trust God to be God. This sounds like an understatement. This is what, this is the major argument there that Paul uses. That's the first thing that you should think about. Before I demand my way, I should realize, wait a minute, God is in control of this. Second thing, before I demand my way, I should consider who God is. I should consider my brother and sister. Look at verses 13. Uh, through 15. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Uh, Verse 11 says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God when we stand before God at the judgment seat if we're believers. Verse 13 says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in the brother's way. And that's in verse, uh, uh, verse 14. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. In other words, you're not supposed to sin against your conscience, even if your conscience is misinformed. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Don't destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. So if you have have liberty to do something, but that's going to damage somebody else and harm somebody else's weak. You choose to do it anyway. You are violating the Bible because it says you're supposed to love people and be kind to them. So the one thing I want to consider before I demand my way is I want to consider who is God. You know, God is God. He's doing a good job. And I'm not God. The second thing, I want to consider my brother, my sister. Am I going to help them? Am I going to hurt them? That's something that I should consider. Notice these three things. You will not cause your brother to stumble. You're not supposed to stumble your brother or your sister. You're not to grieve them. That's what it says there. Don't grieve them. Uh, You're not to devastate them. That's what the scriptures are saying there. So we're supposed to care about one another. So here are some things to think about before we demand our own way. Who is God? How about my brother and sister? What about my witness? Consider your witness. Verses 16 uh, through 19. Therefore, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Uh, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, the things which may edify one another. Now, we need to notice in verses 16 through 19, something is repeated in three different ways. And it is that we're supposed to care what lost people think about us. I've heard often people say, I don't care what people think about. Well, yeah, you should care about what people think about you according to this. You should care. You should concern yourself as, as, as much as is reasonably possible about what people think about you because, not for the sake of your pride, but for the sake of your Christian witness. You should care in that sense. Notice in verse 16 it says, we shouldn't be spoken of as evil. Don't let your good be spoken of as evil. Try to clarify to people, no, I'm trying to do good here. I'm not sinning. I, don't, I really care about these things. And verse 16. Notice in verse 18 that to be acceptable to God and approved by men. We, we, we want as much as possible to be approved by men for them to understand that we're doing good and that we're not just sinning, but that we're exercising a legitimate liberty, right? And then notice it says that we're to edify, that we're to make for peace and edify one another. These, again, are indications that our witness is important. I'm thinking about a waitress, blonde waitress, works at a restaurant. I was witnessing to her. And I said to her, I'd love to have you. She said, I have a little girl. I said, oh, we have such a wonderful church. And I said, we have children's programs for little girls. I got a little four little girls myself. I said, there's nothing like it. You should bring your little girl to our church. I would love so much for you to come to our church. And I remember what this girl said. She said, oh, I would like that so much. But I work here. And on Sunday, the restaurant just fills with church people. So I'm never off on Sunday because I work here at the restaurant. And that's the time I wished I had a Saturday night service to tell her about. So I told her about a sister church that has a Saturday night service, as much as I hate giving business away. And, uh, but I think about her often, and I imagine her waiting on tables on Sunday afternoon after everybody gets out of church. And I wonder what it's like. What does that waitress hear people say, right? Did, did they, did they, does she hear good things that make her want to get to church? Does she hear things that make her believe that Christian people are kind and loving and generous and good? Are the people that she waits on who just got out of church filled with the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and meekness? I thought about this the other day. We were over at Cadoba after church and I was sitting there. I don't remember what I was talking about. But I remember that about halfway through the meal, Dale, remember this? Hannah says, oh, hi, Jennifer. And I'm like, right behind me where I was sitting was Jennifer. Jennifer went to beauty school with Holly. Jennifer is a friend of Hannah's. Jennifer came to our church a few times. Jennifer's heart at one time was so very tender to the things of the Lord. And it's an intensely personal thing. I don't know where she stands right now, but she said last Sunday, she said, Sunday's my only day off, so I don't get to church too much. And to be very honest with you, I thought, what did she hear me say? What did I say? I, I kind of wished I could rewind the tape and make sure whatever I said would beautify my Savior Jesus and make our church look good, right? Because Jennifer is precious to God. And we don't get too many strikes before we strike out with people. We should consider our witness, amen? Before we insist on our personal preferences or our personal opinions, we should consider the wonderful work of God, the church, the 
the, the kingdom expression of God in our time, the work, the, the work of God. Think about the work of God, verses 20 and 21. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. It's good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything. which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak, consider the work of God. We ought to care about the work of God and not do things that cause people to stumble. I, I remember one time talking with a group of young people that, that had been kind of like pressured a lot into doing a lot of things that were based on a guy's opinion, right? They were doing some things that were based on what the Bible says, and they were doing some things that were based on a guy's opinion about what he thinks about what the Bible says, right? And there were a number of these young people had worked with a whole bunch of families like that. These are some of the sharpest young people I know. And we had a meeting. And these young people said to me, here's what we noticed. They said the families that, that would, would use this, it was a homeschool program. The families that would use the homeschool program as a rule generally did not have good outcomes with their kids. In other words, what they were saying is, if you take the Bible and then you add to it your personal opinions and preferences, even if it's just, if your motives are good, but you add extra stuff to it and you force that on your kids, it's probably not going to be well-received. And then the kids would say, the ones who use it as a tool, those families seemed healthy. Now, I think you can take that to the bank. I think that's what Paul is saying right here. If the Bible says it, you can take it to the bank. If it's law, it's law. God wrote the Bible. The Bible comes from God. We obey the Bible. Adding to the Bible your personal preferences and your personal opinions is going to water down the ministry of the church and it's not going to go well. It seems like it will, but it will not go well. And I'm telling you that it's not a way to strengthen. It's like saying, I don't really believe the Holy Spirit is powerful enough. I have something in addition to, I don't believe the Bible's enough. I've added a bit to the Bible. Are you kidding me? I don't believe the Holy Spirit's powerful enough. Like you can do what the Holy Spirit can't do. You don't think the Bible's good enough. You're more sufficient than the Bible, the Holy Word of God. You got to add stuff to the Bible. You don't think the church of Jesus Christ is a powerful enough institution that you got to create your own extra church institution to do what the church can't do? Are you kidding? You really believe that? You don't believe the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? You think you got to add to the gospel? We don't. That's what Paul's saying. You don't have to add to the gospel. You don't have to come up with another institution besides the church. You don't have to write a second Bible. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the Word of God. We have the church of the living God. We have the gospel. And these are powerful things to affect miraculous life change in people and without, without resentment. Remember this, you know, it, there, there is that millstone warning that Jesus gave. If we offend a little one, if we, if we were to do something even with good motives that would unintentionally drive away a young person from God, what does the Bible say? Woe to those who offend little ones. It'd be better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and they're drowned than if somebody offends one of these little ones. So we have to take that very seriously. Let's not do things that unnecessarily put a stumbling block in the way of people who are young, or people who are young in the Lord, or people who are old and very precious to God. We don't want to do any of those things. It wouldn't be right. So there you have the work of God. We should consider the work of God. And fifth, we should consider our own conscience. It's said this over and over again here in verses 22 and 23. It's repeated. Do you have faith? Have it yourself before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. In other words, don't sin against your conscience. So, if your conscience doesn't allow you to do something, you have two choices. 
You know, like the guy says, you know, I've been having a lot of trouble. He says to his doctor, I've been having a lot of trouble. And, and, and he says, uh, you know, I, I really have I've been, you know, doing things that I don't have a good conscience about. And, and uh, so I feel a lot of guilt, and a lot of shame, whatever. And the doctor says, do you want me to give you something to increase your willpower? He said, no, I want you to give me something that will weaken my conscience. Well, that's not good, right? So you have two options. One, yeah, one is then you can obey your conscience. Uh, the second thing you can do, you can inform your conscience with the Bible. I'll give you an example. There was a time when I, in my desire to raise my family for the Lord, to lead the church in a way that was pleasing to the Lord, I was afraid of some instruments and not others, like, you know, guitars and drums and things I won't mention, right? But, but, but pianos and harps were cool, but guitars and drums were like, no. And, and, so, and, they, and so I kind of read books on that. And there were people that would say that, you know. And obviously, you know, we don't believe that because you were here today. But there was a time when I was like, maybe it's better not to use those things. And if you played the drums today, uh, I hope you don't feel bad. I'm going to talk about you for a while. Yeah, or the guitar. Um, anyway, hope, hope uh, but, but there was a time I'd say, well, let's just not use those at all, you know. And, uh, and my little brother, Nathan, is a music minister. He's 10 years my junior. Uh, every, once, every once in a while, somebody asked me if I'm his dad, which is always a happy day for me. And, and uh, I changed my mind about that whole thing. And I said, you know, if the Bible doesn't forbid it, and it can be done to the praise and honor and glory of God, if the Bible can be obeyed in faithfulness to the Lord, and we use a choir and singers and guitars and drums and cymbals and harps and horns, then I'm all for all of that. And I'm always going to be all for all of that because we, that's what the Bible says. And praise him with the loud symbols. Praise him with the clashing symbols. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise you, the Lord. So my brother Nathan and I were talking a, f- a couple years ago. And he said to me, I noticed that you are different than you used to be. I noticed that you are, you know, using music that's pretty lively. And I'm like, yeah, I like lively music. And so, like, in a way that only, like, a little pesky brother can say, he says, how do you know you're not compromising now? How do you know? He was serious. How do you know you're not compromising? How do you know you're, you know, you're a leader? You're leading me. You're leading your nieces and nephews. You're leading your kids. You're leading your congregation. Are you sure you're not compromising? It was a serious question, right? And my brother and I were standing out in the parking lot of West Cannon Baptist Church over on the other side of the state. I looked at my little brother, Nathan, and I said, I didn't compromise. I grew. I grew in my understanding of what the Bible says. I didn't back up. I went forward. You're not strong if you add stuff to the scriptures. If you add stuff to the scriptures, you are weak. That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 14. The weaker brother is the one who added stuff to the scriptures. Right? He's not the strong brother. Because the strong brother is the one that's strong enough to go, I got a Bible, I got the Holy Spirit, I got the gospel, I have the church, we're good. The weak brother goes, I need to add a few more things that Jesus might have forgotten about here because things are really bad and I'm afraid and I get that. So inform your conscience. These are matters of conscience. They're matters that affect the whole body so we're not to act without considering the effect on others. And love should govern all of our decisions. And there's a final one and we'll, we'll talk about more of this in the future but I want to hit it now because it's so critical to the argument even though it spills into the next chapter and that is consider the example of Christ. Christ. 
So, so I'm going to go into this in a minute, but look at all these uh, together. When I, when I have a personal opinion and I have a personal preference, I'm allowed to have that. I need to exercise love, but before I insist on my personal preference or my opinion, I should consider who is God. He can take care of these things. How about my brother and sister? What about my witness? What about the work of God? What about my own conscience? And what about the example of Christ? Now, Christ, Paul says that Jesus says, I want you to go after those Gentiles, and I want you to go after those new Jewish converts. And, and this is really the whole aim of Romans, because if you go back through Romans with a highlighter and you just mark Jew, Gentile, Jew, Gentile, wherever you see it, you'll notice that's a big theme. This is the big tension in Romans, is that, that God wants the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew and the non-Jewish, together with a oneness of mind, pursuing the kingdom. And he still wants the Baptist churches and, and, and his other churches. He wants us to have a oneness of mind, pursuing the gospel. This is so critical. If I was the devil, then I would, of course, try to get people to sin and get involved in licentious living, drunkenness and debauchery and all of that stuff. But if I couldn't get them to do that, then all I would do is I would get them to divide over nitpicky things that are matters of personal preference and matters of personal opinion because then there would be just be, that'd be another form of sin, but more of an acceptable kind of sin, but still the perishing would still be perishing. If I was the devil, that's what I would do. How many of you think he's still doing that? So we should decide, no, no, no. We have our opinions and we have our preferences and we cherish them. And that's fine. But we don't reject one another or demand that other people follow our preferences or our opinions because we have the gospel and that's what we're united in. This is not cross-stitched. This is not duck hunting. This isn't even Big Ten football. This is the kingdom of the living God. This is life and death. This is eternal stuff. This is the stuff that's still going to beat in your heart. When you sit on the porch and rock on the porch in eternity, you're not going to be talking about the football game that you can't remember who won last year. What you're going to be talking about is the the triumphs of the gospel. What you're going to be talking about is that girl from Kosovo that got saved because somebody gave her a Christmas gift and it's the first Christmas gift that she got. That's what you're still going to be talking about when you're in the presence of our Savior Jesus Christ. Your your personal opinions and mine are going to seem so small and so unimportant and the gospel of the kingdom is going to be so large. Let's get together. I see something cool happening in our church. Lots of real... This is the big thing that's happening. We are leaders are united in a common purpose. This means good things for the future of our church. Our pastors and our deacons and key leaders in our church are united in a common purpose that's got to spill over into the congregation and the congregation is about to get to critical mass. And what that happens is when the congregation follows the leaders, the leaders are united and the congregation follows the leaders and informs and helps the leaders and we reach this kind of like tipping point, this critical mass, and then we begin to really effectively reach other people. We stop talking about the little preferences and our opinions, and we start focusing on the gospel. We love one another. We reach the lost, and people begin to come to faith in Jesus Christ on a scale that we haven't seen it for a long time. Wouldn't that be exciting to see? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's worth setting aside my personal personal opinions. And that's worth setting aside my personal preferences. Imagine a church where we measure the spirituality by the fruit of the Spirit 
instead of by someone's personal preferences. Imagine a church where the people concentrate on the list that God gave us, the fruit of the Spirit, instead of their own extra-biblical list. What would that church be like? I'll tell you what it would be like. Miracles would happen. It would be good and pleasant, and the Lord would command the blessing of eternal life among those people, and people would be saved, and people would grow in holiness. People who are precious to God and, and precious to us. That's the future of our church if we will say the same thing and be of one accord and of one mind. And I got to tell you what God did in my heart as I prepared this message. Here's kind of my thinking, and this is going to kind of like be a little honest moment. Like I wasn't being dishonest before, but especially honest. I think I need to preach this message to those people so they will do what I tell them to do. (laughs) Or if I tell you that, it's like, because I'm the pastor and my opinions matter more than everybody else's, you know. It's kind of, I'm just being honest, you know, I was like, I'm the pastor, so I will tell you guys what to do, and then if you all do it, it gets really exciting around here. <laughs> this isn't going well, honey. Get the car running in case I have to make a quick exit. But just to be honest, I'm like, man, when the people see what I got, when they see what we're doing, when they see our plan, when they see our purpose, when they see what we're, they're going to like, when they get it, when they get behind it, you know, we're going to really go, we're going to go. And that's not untrue. God does give leaders, and you should follow them. But here's what the Lord showed me so clearly in the last few weeks. It's like, well, there's two ways for us all to get along. One is for you to do what I say. (laughs) That's my favorite way, just so you know. The other is for me to do what you want to do. And the Lord kind of showed me, Ken, this isn't a one-way deal. It's a two-way thing. You should have said, man, I wish you'd have figured that out like seven years ago. I know me too. But nonetheless, it's like, I get it. So in other words, if I go walking around and I see somebody doing something, it's not like exactly what I would have done, but it is a good thing. You know, they got some personal preferences in there and opinions, and I can just say, oh, it's okay. I endorse it. I endorse you. I endorse it. I'm for it. Let's all, this, this is good. This is good. Let's do this thing, right? In other words, we just got to get united. It doesn't really matter so much if it's, you know, the way I thought of first or the, the way that you thought of first. We just need to agree that this is important to us so that we will unite. And I think this is exactly what Paul is saying right here. It's so I believe that probably Paul, with the Roman church, he wasn't even there that much. It was like their church, and he's encouraging them, get it together, and however you do that, go. Go reach these lost people. Does this make sense to you? I hope so. Hey, I'm going to quit. You thought I never would. I've watched dynamic churches all my life. I've studied dynamic churches. I've been a part of dynamic churches. Our church is dynamic and can be even more dynamic than it is. I'm positive of that. And there is, a, I don't have time to tell you, but I've been watching. There's a lot of dynamic things going on. And not just, uh, this isn't sales talk. I'm telling you, when you drive up to our church on a Wednesday morning and the parking lot is full and the library is full of ladies being taught the Bible, that's dynamic. All right, I went by the ladies uh, class here. Kendra, how many years have you been doing that? Lots? You don't want to say? Lots of years, sorry. Uh, went by full. They could use a bigger room, am I right? It's full because ladies need Jesus. Yeah. Michael Hammond got saved and baptized, and his mama was here to see it today. It doesn't get more dynamic than that. Somebody's not going to hell. They're going to heaven, right? Tomorrow night, this church isn't going to have the lights off. The lights are going to be on, guiding hands. Pregnancy Refuge is going to be servicing clients and loving on people and giving the gospel to men and women. It's a dynamic church. But... I've studied dynamic churches, and it could be even more dynamic than it is. 
If we say the same thing, we're of one mind and one accord, and we say the same thing. I, I've been to churches. Jim Summers pastored uh, Mount Prospect Bible Church that I went to when I was at Moody. I couldn't believe what a dynamic church it was. Chairs in the aisle, people getting baptized, choirs singing a song. Amazing thing. He left that church 34 years ago. I looked him up. I found him. He went to Miami. He spent 34 years in one church in Miami leading a dynamic church, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multinational. They, their, their platform's got like choir, every imaginable instrument from all around the world, and he's the same Bible-preaching, Southern Baptist, wind-sucking pastor that he was when I was there, up there in, in Chicago. Still faithful preaching the Bible in a dynamic church, faith church in Lafayette, Indiana. Amazing counseling services. They got a skate park for kids. They got a home for girls that are, that are uh, harming themselves. They got, um, they got like a, a gym and a, and a pool for, to reach to the, the, the neighbors, but they also have like a big room there where folks would come in and get gently used clothes for their kids. They've got a daycare there. They're just a dynamic church, and they're sound as a dollar biblically. It's a fine church. I could go on and on telling you the stories of churches all around our nation that have not compromised the gospel, and they are dynamic churches. And there's one thing that all of them have in common. And it is that they say the same thing. And they're of one accord. And they're of one mind. And they're behind the gospel. And I call you to that. And I call me to that. I like to go to Starbucks. Not because I think it's a good value. Because it's kind of pricey. But one of the reasons I like to go there is because it smells good. It's got a fragrance about it. I love the smell of coffee. Another reason I like to go there is they kind of have that vibe going on, that kind of customer service uh, culture at Starbucks. And Howard Schultz that started it did that on purpose. They don't let you work there unless they work hard on training you in this kind of customer service culture. And I like to go there. And, and if you work at Starbucks, you can't call the, the coffee small, medium, and large, right? Because there's names for the coffee at Starbucks. You've got to know French or Italian or something to say them. You've got to have like a little primer at first, even know how to order. You feel really dumb at first. They train them all to say the same thing. Your little coffee is tall. Go figure, right? Tall. I guess it's European. And your medium coffee is grande. It makes you feel better about it. And then your big coffee is venti. So I suppose so you feel like a foreigner and not a glutton. I don't know why that is. But, and if you work there, you can't go. You want a small, medium, or large they will seriously give you the beat down if you do that because they're saying the same thing and there's a fragrance there. But that's just human. Imagine a place where there's a fragrance of Christ because we're agreed and we're saying the same thing. This week, I decided to have some split pea soup. It would be good for me. And so I decided to make it in the microwave, which I don't suppose is good for you, but so I had this little canister of split pea soup that I was going to microwave. Well, I go into the office here and and I, you're supposed to put water in it and then put it in the microwave and put it in there for two minutes. Well, I'm always like wasting Sandy's time. So I put it in the microwave and I forgot to put water in it, put it on for two minutes. I went in and talked to Sandy. By the time I was done, the office smelled really bad and the split piece was on fire. I'm not kidding. I thought, here's what went through my mind. The copiers are like under like a warranty because we're like leasing them. So the company can cover that. But when the fire suppression system kicks on to put the split piece soup out, it's going to ruin my library. 
So I really prayed, God, please, do we have a fire suppression system over there? Uh, When the sprinklers kick on, please don't let it ruin my library. Everything else here can be replaced, but my library. (laughs) And it smelled horrible. Now, you say, what were you talking about, Pastor? Here's what I'm talking about. When people come here, they need a place to be warm, joyful, happy, transcendent, eternal, kind, loving, fragrant with united Christians. Heavenly Father, thank you for these dear folk who listen so carefully today. I pray, Lord, that this would sink down into our very heart of hearts and that you would allow us to be a part of a church that is very dynamic, life-changing. In Christ's name we pray.